Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. We are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual journey and look forward to helping you discover God's plan for your life. To find more messages like this, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast feeds. To stay connected with us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the handle CCGF01 and check out our website, ccgf.org, for all of this information and more. Now, here is this week's message, Grace and Peace to You. I want to show you a photograph. This is a photograph, a wide-angle shot, of the Billy Graham Crusade at Three River Stadium in 1993. Several years ago, when I was an intern here at Christ Church, I was in John Guest's office, and I was talking to Pastor John, and I was looking at all the remarkable photos in his office, and as I came to this one, I stopped and I said, Pastor John, I said, I was there that night. I was there when this shot was taken. In fact, I might be one of these people down on the carpet here, on the AstroTurf. And we talked about how he had also come to Christ at a Billy Graham crusade in 1954. We shared some fellowship there, and a special moment to me. A few weeks back when I was meeting with Pastor John, I showed up in his office in the morning, and he had a gift wrapped for me. And it was this portrait. He's given this to me. It's in my office now, which I'm really grateful for. It's very special. And when I look at this photo, one of the things I think about are blind spots. Blind spots. Here's what I'm talking about. When I showed up at Three River Stadium on that June 1993 night, I had a major blind spot in my life. Here's my blind spot. I understood the kingdom of God to work like this, like scales, where bad is weighed on one side and good is weighed on the other side. And I walked into the stadium that night thinking that my good had outweighed my bad. Yeah, I might be a sinner, but I'm I'm far more good, and so therefore I'm all right with God. I'm good with God. Well, of course, that night, everything changed for me. My blind spot was identified, and I recognized that I was a sinner. But that God, through his love, wanted to have a, a personal relationship with me through Christ. Changed everything for me. My blind spot was identified, and I'm so glad that it was. I'm sure that you can identify maybe with that moment. Maybe some of you were even there on that June night in 1993. What I want to talk about today is blind spots. Let me give you a definition, a working definition of a blind spot. A blind spot is a behavior, trait, or way of thinking that we systematically overlook, either intentionally or more likely subconsciously. I subconsciously had a blind spot when I went in there. Just unaware, unaware of how God's kingdom really worked, thinking I knew and understood how it worked. Former U.S. Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld speaks about blind spots. He referred to known knowns, known unknowns, some of you remember this, and then unknown unknowns. When he talks about known knowns, he talks about clarity on what we know. That's a known known. When he spoke of known unknowns, well, that's clarity on what we need to know, what we need to find out. The unknown unknowns, well, those are the blind spots. The unknown unknowns. The problem with blind spots is this. We don't know what we don't know. You don't know what you don't know. That's the trouble with a blind spot. 
Let me illustrate with this. Several years back, um, there was a survey that was done on students who took the SAT. Remember the SAT? Well, this exit questionnaire asked a question to the students, and the question was to rate yourself on your ability to get along with others. Check this out. 0% of 829,000 questionnaires said that they were below average in getting along with other people. Now listen, I'm a pastor and I know that's not true. I've worked with some of you, right? We know that that is not true. 0% of 829,000. So they were below average in getting along with people. There's more. 25% of the people said that they were in the top 1% of getting along with others. Now, I'm no math whiz, but you can't have 25% of the people in the top 1%. It doesn't work. The math doesn't work. What's that tell us? Here's what this tells us. It tells us two things. Number one, most likely, you are unaware of who you are. Let me take away the most likely. The truth of the matter is we are unaware of who we are. Second thing I would say is this, deep down inside, you and I might refuse to acknowledge what we don't like about ourselves. You know what this is called? It's called a blind spot. And I'm here to tell you today that you have a blind spot. Well, this is really depressing, isn't it? <laughs> but it's true. Good news is this, we can get the whole picture. We can actually see past the blind spots to get the whole picture of who you are. I believe, and I'm submitting to you today, that you need to consider the Bible's perspective, not just your own, because you have a blind spot. The Bible, though, has a way of correcting our vision and giving us a picture of, of who we are. So that's where we're going today. We're going to look at the scriptures. We're continuing in our series called The Kingdom. It's like this. And we're looking at these kingdom parables. I want to remind you that the kingdom is the reign of God in Christ. Simply put, the kingdom is the reign of God in Christ. And then these parables, well, Jesus uses parables to help us understand how the kingdom, how his rule and reign is established. And so we're looking at these. We're going to go into the gospel of Matthew again today. The gospel of Matthew is the only place where the two parables that were just read to you by Rich Clark appear. So let's go to them today. I'm going to read them again to you. Let's start with the first one, the parable of the net. Matthew 13, I'm going to read 47 through 50. I'm going to read this time to you from the ESV. There's a couple words that uh, I'll point out along the way that are a little different in this translation. Let's hear it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and they sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's talk about the meaning of this parable. I think first of all we have to consider fishing in antiquity. I know some of you are, are fishermen, some of you are fisherwomen. You enjoy the, the, the sport of fishing. In those times, of course, it was a little different than our style of fishing. Here's what they would do. They would take a large net, much larger than this net, and they would tie it to a stump or a rock or a tree. 
And then they would take the other end of it, get in their boat, and go out to the middle of the sea, or whatever body of water it was, and stretch out the net. And then they would paddle ashore, dragging the net along the way and catching a whole bunch of fish in the midst of this. And then they would get the the fish ashore and they would sort them out. And they would take the ones that they wanted to cook, that that were usable, and then those that, that maybe weren't very good to eat, maybe poisonous, maybe some kind of trash that was in there, they would take those things and they would throw them out or throw them back into the sea. That's how ancient fishing worked. And I believe that this picture that Jesus is talking about in the parable has meaning to us as we consider the true nature of the visible church. I'm not talking about the visible church. I'm talking about the kind of congregation that people belong to that has a sign out front of it. That's the visible church, as opposed to the invisible church, which consists of believers of every denomination, of every country across the world, across time. That's the invisible church. We're talking about the visible church. And I believe that this parable of the net and the fish that were caught in it gives us a picture of what the kingdom of God is like. So let's look at it. Let's go down the list here, okay? So first of all, there's the net. Well, what does the net represent? The net represents the preaching of the gospel. And it's like letting down a huge net amidst the world. That's what the net is. The net is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that is preached. And it's like that dragnet that gets thrown in to the water and and is dragged and then catches many, many fish as it goes along in the midst of the sea of the world. So that's the net. But what about the fish of every kind that get caught into the net? Well, those fish of every kind are Christians of various sorts. I mean, think about it. There's every nation, every tribe, every kind of race that has been caught by the gospel. That's one of the great things about the gospel of Jesus is it's not just for the Jew. It's for the Gentile. It's for all people. This net catches, the gospel catches many, many kinds of people. And within that, there are varying talents. There are different denominations. But this is really important. This is what the parable is pointing out. There are also true believers and false believers. I mean, think about what the scripture says, that there are good fish and there are bad fish. There are true believers caught in the net. But there are also false believers. Here's what I would say to us. Congregations. I had to think about this all week, about what I'm about to say. But this is true. Congregations are mixed bodies. And they contain both good fish and bad fish. Let me tell you what I mean. I want to point to another scripture. Matthew 7, verses 21 and 23. Maybe this will help us understand this, okay? Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And Jesus says, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, 
you evildoers. It's heavy. It's really heavy. Listen, just because you're baptized doesn't mean that you're born again. I know that's hard to hear. Don't be satisfied with church membership. By the way, we had 41 people yesterday. This is to be celebrated. Who showed up and committed to being a member of Christ Church. I love that. It's exciting. But we can't be satisfied with just church membership. That's not what determines a good fish from a bad fish. Neither does someone's Facebook posts that they make. That's an outward experience that we, we put out there these days. That doesn't prove your faith. Listen, the waters of baptism are poured on myriads who are never truly washed in the water of life. We're going to celebrate baptism today. I cannot wait. The water out there is 95 degrees. It's going to be great. We're going to have a great celebration. And my prayer is that the people who will enter into those waters absolutely have settled in their heart and their mind. We believe they have. That Jesus is Lord. But the waters of baptism are poured on those who actually are never really washed in the water of life. Just as the bread and the wine, when we celebrate communion, are eaten and drunk by thousands who never truly feed on Christ through faith. This is the fact of the matter. Sobering truth. You know, these fishermen that are sorting, did you catch this? That they catch the fish and then they sort out the fish. Well, we're told by Jesus what this means. This describes eschatological events, the end of times, when the Lord returns. And it says that the angels will separate the wicked from the righteous. Separate the wicked from the righteous on the day of judgment. True membership. Talk about membership. True membership of God's kingdom will finally be settled. Sorted. Good fish and bad fish. You know, I heard once that, that heaven is a lot like a family reunion. You're surprised by who is there and who's not there. Billy Bob, what are you doing here? Heaven's going to be a little bit like that. This end of times picture we get. And here's what all this begs for us. It begs this question. Well, am I a good fish? Listen, I've had to sort with this all week long and revisit that question in my heart, in my mind. Am I a good fish? I had to allow myself to be open to the fact that I might have a blind spot. Could it be that you have a blind spot? I know this from the scripture, the true character of every person's religion will eventually be exposed. That is, that is the truth of this scripture. Look, you could see why this passage isn't preached on very often. Have you heard this preached on? I'm not patting myself on the back. It's just what came up this week. You can see why it's not preached on very often. I am setting off anxiety from someone right now. You're hearing this thinking, oh my goodness, what, 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 what have I done? Well, listen, I'm not just a fire and brimstone preacher, but I am here. And I think the most loving thing that I could tell all of you, anyone who's listening at home right now. And by the way, if you have questions, please interact with our host, Doug Rary, online. We, we'd love to engage with you. I think the most loving thing that we could say today is this, is that God made heaven and he wants you in it. He wants you to be with him in paradise. He desires that for that to be true.
But we have to examine ourselves and see if we have a blind spot. I want to go back to this whole thing, and I want to talk about this some more, but first I want to talk about this. Let's go back to this fish of every kind thing. This is important, and we're talking about missions through this, this series. I think this parable is a reminder of the kingdom mission mandated to, to go to all nations and to make disciples. The Christian has a call mandated by Jesus in Matthew 28. You know this is the Great Commission, perhaps. Listen to verses 19 and 20. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus says, go cast a broad net. Go and make disciples of every nation. You are to be fishermen, fisherwomen. Go out and fish and catch people. I'll sort them out later on. You go and share the gospel. You know, we're, we're talking about unreached people groups. Some of you have seen the unreached people group wall in the commons. I would encourage you all to go there. Stand in front of the wall. Let the number three billion, with a B, let the number three billion set in. As you said, that's, that's over 40% of the world's population. That's the number of unreached people groups. 40% of the world's population has no exposure to the gospel. I mean, this isn't your neighbor who doesn't know Christ. You can reach your neighbor. These are people who, has, who have no one to reach them. There's no presence of the church of Jesus Christ in their midst. And so we want to let that settle in. This idea that we're called to cast the net of the gospel into the world. I want to tell you about something called Momentum Yes. Interesting name, Momentum Yes. Momentum Yes is an educational opportunity for all of us to learn about the outreached, I'm sorry, the, the unreached. I would, I would encourage all of you to sign up to participate in it. It's just one hour. And this is going to be on October 4th from 6 to 7 p.m. It's going to be online via Zoom. If you go to our website, ccgf.org forward slash missions, you and your family can go there and participate in Momentum Yes. I want to give you a little more of a sense of what this is about and, and the way that we can see the unreached. Check out this video about Momentum Yes. Perspective. It's a powerful thing. Perspective has the ability to take something you've seen hundreds of times, something totally familiar, and then with a shift, completely change the way you view it forever. And if a different perspective could cause you to rethink one thing, maybe it could help you rethink everything. We're gonna invite you to do a lot of rethinking. Rethink church, your neighbors, how you approach the Bible, God's mission on this earth, and the role your story has in that mission. It's hard to imagine that 40% of the world's population today does not have a realistic way to learn that Jesus is the best news in the universe. Throughout all of scripture, God is relentless about seeing his entire creation redeemed. Did you catch who was invited to this banquet? All the people of the world. Seeing the gospel communicated to all peoples should be a major priority as his disciples. And now we're going to look at our stories in a different light. The ultimate source of your identity and what qualifies you to do the good things of God doesn't come from what you've done, 
but from who God says you are. This is the highest calling we could possibly have to live, speak, and reflect the glory of God. It doesn't take a special call from God or a seminary degree. Our relationships have the potential to reach the world. God didn't intend for missions to be just a department or ministry of our churches. God has planned it to be the foundation of all ministry. But everyday people can change everything when they are a part of God's mission. Our generation is the generation responsible to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We can be the ones to see every people group have access to the gospel. Because what we know for certain is that there is momentum. When everyday people say yes to joining the momentum of what God is doing in the world, that's when we see everything in our world change. So I'd love for you to check that out. Momentum, yes, October 4th, 6, 7 p.m. You can go to our website and check out more. But here's what I would say about this part of the parable. A kingdom-minded church, we're talking about the kingdom, a kingdom-minded church casts the net of the gospel broadly. That is who we want to be, my friends. That's who we have to be. Now, I got more to say about blind spots. Let's keep on going. There are two more verses that I want to to touch on, verse 51 and 52. Again, back to the ESV here. Let me read this to you. It says, have you understood these things? That's the question Jesus asked. Have you understood these things? And they said to him, yes. And he said to them, okay, well, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. I think that question really under, it was really interesting. Have you understood all these things? That's a striking question. And I believe that they gave a premature yes. I say that with confidence. You know why I say that? Because I've read the rest of the Gospels. And clearly, Peter and the other disciples did not understand these things fully. How could they? I'm not picking on them. We don't understand them fully. The disciples had just begun to understand. They had a blind spot. There's no doubt about it. Jesus was aware of that. I believe there are thousands who regularly go to places of worship. And they believe that they have done their religious duty. But they never live out, live out faith in Jesus Christ. That's a blind spot. It's a huge blind spot. So let's talk about these scribes, because in the ESV that I just read to you, it refers to scribes in the, in the NIV, which you heard Rich read earlier, it refers to these same group of people as disciples. I believe these scribes are used to describe what it means to live out faith, to be a good fish. Let's connect the two. Let me give you just a couple quick traits of, of the scribes. They had a highly prized skill set. They interpreted. They could write. This was big time in, in ancient times. Um, in the Old Testament, if someone was a scribe, they would follow around a prophet everywhere he would go and write down the things that he would say. These were significant, significant, very significant members of the community. Now in the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament, this word scribe can be used interchangeably, it seems, with the word disciple. What are disciples? Where disciples interpret the scriptures, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's what a disciple does. A disciple follows Jesus wherever he goes, just like a scribe in the Old Testament. A disciple, well, we should be significant in our impact, in our circles of influence, just as they were significant figures in their times. I'm going to give you really quick, three quick tricks of scribes or disciples. 
Listen, the first thing is this. Scribes discover the truth. This is part of being a good fish, so to speak. Scribes discover the truth. Let me give you a little more background on the scribes. Scribes began as a noble group under Ezra. If you go to Ezra 7 or Nehemiah 8, you can read more this week about the scribes and who they were. And and their purpose was to preserve the law, to study it and apply its truth to daily life. Well, we are scribes who sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his words. That's who we're called to be. This is what the good fish do. And we have the truth. We have the truth in God's son. What did Jesus say in in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the truth. We have the truth in God's son. We also have the truth in God's word. How about John 17, 17? Jesus praying says, your word is truth. We have the truth in God's son. We have the truth in God's word. One of the great privileges of life in Christ is learning God's truth from God's word. We're passionate about that here. We want to teach the scriptures. We want you to know the scriptures. We want you to be in the scriptures learning from them yourself. This is part of the life, I guess, of a good fish. This is what scribes do. Jesus is talking about the scribes. They discover the truth. The second thing that a, a scribe does is scribes do the truth. They don't just discover the truth. A scribe does the truth. The scribes emphasize learning back in the Old Testament. Learning was their gig. But the disciple emphasizes living. Disciples are doers of the word. Let me point you to James 1.22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do you hear that? The scribes do what, I'm sorry, disciple does what the word says, not just learns it. They learn by doing. There's two principles I think we could take from this. One, don't emphasize learning at the expense of living. You got to live. You got to live it out. We have to do what the word says. But also that every person Um, I'm sorry, we shouldn't get so busy serving God that we do not take time to listen to his word. Both are true. Every scribe must be a disciple and every disciple must be a scribe. It's both. And so we see that a scribe discovers the truth, a scribe does the truth, and then thirdly, scribes dispense the truth. That's our third D. Scribe dispenses the truth. The scribes preserved the law in the Old Testament, but they did not invest in the lives of people. That's not who we want to be. We desire to be people who are called uh, to be a people who call our world to Christ. That's our vision. We are people who want to what? Share, share, share. If you're here last week, that's our perspective on the kingdom. Share, share, share. Spread the good news. Let's see the kingdom of God grow and spread. This is why we're talking about missions. We are outward facing. Our understanding of being a part of the family of God is that we see the outside of the church as the place to be. 
as the place where it happens. We are called to spread and share the kingdom of God. The kingdom consists of every member ministry. And that ministry shares the love of God and the good news of Jesus with everyone. This is what the scribes point us to. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we bring those things out and we share. This is what Jesus connects to the parable of the net. That the good fish, the ones who truly understand and are growing in their understanding, are those who go and they discover God's truth. They do the word of God and they dispense it to other people. So we've been talking about blind spots this morning. And you may be asking yourself still this question and stuck on this. Am I a good fish? Am I a true scribe? Really, the question you're asking is this. Am I saved? How do I know? How do I know if I'm saved? How do I know about this? Well, I'd ask you to examine your life. Is there evidence? God's work in your life? Is there fruit? It's a scary question if you ask me. Because I might be able to point to a little bit of fruit in my life, a little bit of evidence, but then I could point to a lot of non-examples. A lot of times where there isn't fruit. A lot of times where there's not evidence. So let me point you to the scriptures as to how you can know. How you can know if you are saved, if you're the good fish, if you're a true scribe. Romans 8, 16. Read you this little verse. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Spirit testifies, the Holy Spirit, that indwells everyone who believes. It testifies with your spirit and confirms and affirms that we are children of God. R.C. Sproul, native of Pittsburgh, famous preacher, would ask those that he preached to three questions. I'm going to borrow R.C. Sproul's questions this morning. Here's the first question that R.C. would ask. Do you love Christ perfectly? Do you love Christ perfectly? I don't know about you, but I can't answer that question in the affirmative. No, I do not love Christ perfectly. I've not loved him with my whole heart as we prayed this morning. How about the second question? Do you love Christ as you ought to? Do you love him as you ought to? Again, I don't know about you, but I struggle to answer that question in a positive way. So here's the third question. Do you love Christ at all? Do you love him at all? And if you can answer yes to that question, let me tell you, you couldn't love him at all with any of your own strength. If you love him at all, that is evidence that you belong to him. It's the evidence that the spirit of God rubbing against your spirit, your inner person, affirms that you are a child of God. If you love Christ at all, even though you don't love him as you ought to, even though you don't love him perfectly, if you love him at all, it's the evidence that you belong to him. The scripture says, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. 
I'll take you back to this Billy Graham crusade moment. You know, the result of that evening when I discovered my blind spot was that I loved God. I love Christ. Not as I ought to. Not perfectly. But something happened on the AstroTurf at Three River Stadium in June of 1993 that changed me. And I learned to love Christ and serve him. To dispense his word, to, to at least attempt to do what he tells me to do in his word. To discover the truth of who Jesus is and what the word of God says. And you know what that was? It was me discovering and coming to grips with a blind spot and surrendering my life to Christ. Look, if you're sitting there saying, oh, I don't know if I'm in the good fish category or not, there's a way. And the way is all about you surrendering and say, God, I believe in Jesus. I need him. It's as simple as that. We don't have to make this fancy. You can do that today. In your heart, in your mind, you can talk to God and say that. Let me give you that opportunity right now. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Lord, we come before you as ones who, in fact, have blind spots. We're ones who tend to wander off in our own way. Oh, Lord, would you help us as we face the blind spots of our own life? Come to grips with them. I pray, Lord, we would not just kind of try to force them down and forget about them, but rather we would wrestle with them. And that our blind spots might lead us to really know you. I pray, Lord, any person who's listening, whether online or in this room right now, who perhaps is discovering a blind spot, who can't say that they love you at all, would turn in faith and say, God, I believe in Jesus. He's the Son of God. He died to pay for sins. He rose again. He paid for us all. And I surrender my life to him. I know, Lord, that the person who says that prayer in faith, believing, can be counted among those who one day will indeed be counted as the good fish. Lord, we desire to be a part of your kingdom work. Help us as a church to cast a broad net, to go to those who are even unreached, also our neighbors, and to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus. May you bring in a great haul from Christ Church, Lord. It's our prayer. Thank you for those who have trusted in Christ today. Thank you for those who have had their, first, their faith affirmed this morning. Oh God, we love you. And we thank you for your word and your son. In his name we pray. Amen.